Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Rees. The U.S. government recommends increased use of safer alternatives to opioids for pain management. Physical therapy is among those safer options. Physical therapist Ahmed Rashwan notes, however, that America nevertheless is in the grips of an opioid addiction crisis, and he sees his profession as having a key role to play there, too, after addiction has taken hold. So he's placing physical therapists in addiction treatment centers where they are helping medically stabilized patients achieve reductions in pain and stress and an enhanced sense of well-being, making relapse less likely. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, Ahmed and his physical therapist associate, Eric Chaconis, share patient stories and treatment facility statistics that indicate that the value of physical therapy in the battle against opioid addiction extends well past the prevention stage. Let's check in with Ahmed and Eric as they describe their efforts. Thanks to both of you for, for being with us today. The American Physical Therapy Association has an ongoing uh, public awareness and education campaign called Choose PT that makes the point that while doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, they only mask the pain and, and they do carry risks that include depression, overdose, and addiction, plus withdrawal systems uh, when stopping use. The Choose PT campaign cites the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's recommendation that safer alternatives to pain management, such as physical therapy, can be employed uh, whenever possible as pain management alternatives. But still, of course, as you know better than anyone, uh, anybody who monitors the news uh, knows that an opioid epidemic is in fact happening in this country with more than 115 people dying every day after overdosing on these narcotics, according to, uh, to government statistics. So in other words, despite everyone's best efforts, addiction is very much an alarming fact of American life. Now, you guys are both physical therapists, but you're coming at this from a, a little different angle than the prevention one. Looking at the numbers, you're interested in the ways in which physical therapy can help people who already are addicted to opioids. And in fact, you're involved with a business model that functions along those lines. And we'll unwrap in detail all of that as we talk. But first of all, Eric, I wanted to ask you, can you talk about some of the basics, sort of what some of the factors are that got us to this point that has made opioid addiction such a, a seemingly intractable problem that continues to devastate entire communities? You know, I think when you look back in the 90s, when a lot of these newer opioids that we know today came to market, you know, we had a, a situation where really most physicians weren't, you know, well-equipped to treat pain. And so the amount of education that one gets in medical school and even physical therapy school to some degree, you know, on pain back in the 90s wasn't where it is today. And so, you know, relying on opioids for things like chronic low back pain and, and just everyday musculoskeletal bumps and bruises was sort of commonplace. Those drugs were marketed very heavily, especially in the primary care world. And I think we were kind of sold as a as a country a, a bill of goods that these drugs were safe, that they weren't addictive, that the addictive rates were very low. And that's not true at all. It, the, the longer duration you are prescribed an opioid addiction rates go up significantly. Substance use disorder is a very real uh, physiological process, right? It, it's, it's not an issue of willpower. 
It's not an issue of, you know, having the mental fortitude to make a decision to all of a sudden stop taking a pain medication. Once this is in your system and your your, you know, brain starts to adapt and get used to these drugs, it really is a uh, a really really tough process to kick. And so that's why we call, you know, drug addiction a cunning, baffling, powerful disorder just because of the way that it can take over the brain and really make people um change their decision making, change their behaviors and it's I, I think that's where we come in as physical therapists is how can we really contribute because this is such a huge epidemic like you said earlier. Now, uh, Ahmed, I wanted to ask you a question. You, you recently participated in a, in a presentation at APTA's Next Conference in which you described the opioid crisis as having three stages, and, and you listed them as pre-opioid consumption, current opioid consumption, and, addict, and active addiction. Can you describe each of those stages in turn and, and sort of detail what each of those entails? Yes, awesome. So the three stages that we, we just talked about is, is kind of like our concept. That's our philosophy. That's kind of the way we kind of look at the world, so to speak. And it's just a simple way for everybody that's out there to kind of understand how this works. And with the pre-opioid consumption is that that is what we're going about. That's before you get injured, right, before you actually start using. If you actually get hurt and you hurt your knee or you hurt your back at work or you get in a car accident, how can we educate you before you go to the doctor or after you go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes you medication? You know, that's, that's the person that has not used yet, um, haven't gotten to that point. Uh, we're, we're the children, for example, that are going up in high schools and middle schools, kind of like the D.A.R.E. program that we used to have um, or that still is out there. Um, then we transition a little bit to the current opioid consumption, which is people that are currently using, whether it is just opioids or other different kinds of drugs. So this goes back to the person that uh, is already had surgery, uh, had a total knee replacement, had, again, gotten a car accident, had a knee injury, knee surgery, whatever it may be, and they've been prescribed opioids and they're currently using those. Or the people that have gotten prescribed opioids, they got discharged from medical care and they're not getting their medicine elsewhere. Now they're getting it on the streets or they're using heroin or other drugs that they're um, compensating for. Um, and then the final stage is the active addiction. And, and that's basically the population that, that we work with and for the most part. Is it, those are people that are, are addicted. They're, they've, they've, it's, been, um, it's a medical diagnosis at this point. They are doing whatever they can to go through the recovery system. Um, to use whatever tools that we have out there, whether it's AA, NA, or an actual substance abuse facility, to try to actually deal with the addiction that they're currently in right now at this current state. The first two stages with the pre-opioid consumption and the current opioid consumption, I think the Choose PT model that we have and we're, we're the campaign that we're pushing is really important because it goes after those. Now, and that's all, a lot of preventative stuff and a lot of stuff that is where we're in currently. Um, with the active addiction, the third stage, that's kind of where we come in, and that's my my passion and that I say, hey, listen, what about the people that are already addicted? How do we address the people that are already addicted from these opioids? Ahmed, in, in that same recent address, you, you described five levels of addictive treatment. Um, can, can you enumerate those and, and tell us what's involved in each and uh, where, if anywhere, uh, physical therapy typically comes into those, those, uh, those stages? So the five levels, and this is a model that's in, in, the, in the state of Florida. So each state out there might be slightly different, but for the main point, um, and I'll just be as general as I can be in that so everybody can kind of understand and get the, the general understanding of it. And it's the level 0.5 really is, is early intervention services. And those are services that, like the D.A.R.E. program, other programs that are out there to help us, such as some behavioral health therapists, psychiatrists, early intervention stuff with MDs, the Choose PT program, a lot of stuff that it's out there to educate us on 
what is it that the opioids and to really address that first stage of the pre-opioid consumption. And then we have the, the other levels of actual substance abuse treatment facilities, which is the level one, which is outpatient services. So those are facilities where you basically, you get dishes into an outpatient facility and you're performing care. So like a substance abuse uh, therapist or uh, a behavioral health therapist that you continue to work with, or AA and NA, Alcoholic Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. Level two, which was intensive outpatient or partial hospitalization. Most of us are, are, that are in the substance abuse industry would, would hear those as IOP and PHP. IOP is a step-down program where you basically go for about nine hours worth of treatment per week. It's a program where you're basically getting incorporated back into normal life, where you're getting some treatment, but you're starting to kind of get back and do some of your activities. Whereas a PHP program, you have to produce about 25 hours worth of treatment or participate in 25 hours worth of treatment in, the, in those services per week. Um, there's a lot of uh, observation. You're just coming out of detox or some out of uh, residential program where you're still working. It's early on in the recovery, in the healing process. Then level three is a residential and inpatient services. They're very similar to a partial hospitalization service, which is like the PHP ones, but these are actual facilities that are uh, have everything encompassed. Think of a hospital, but not an actual hospital. It's a hospital setting, but not an actual hospital that has other patients. It's a specific facility that only deals with substance abuse. Uh, their medical practitioners usually have some sort of substance abuse uh, certification or background that they can work with the patients because it's specifically to substance abuse patients. And then level five, which is the medically managed intensive outpatient services, and those are intensive inpatient services, excuse me, that's what a detox is, which is basically 24-hour care. It's when you decide to go to treatment, and that's how you get started. So the way it really works, it really goes backwards in that, you know, if I'm in an active addiction and I go, you know what, I'm going to go get help, uh, I've been using for, you know, 10 years or five years or however long, I go to a level five service, which is detox first. So I go to detox, and those are usually anywhere from three to seven days, and, and they help me with medicine to kind of slowly detox and get the medicine out of my system safely. And then I progress to a level three service, which is a residential or inpatient facility, where I spend anywhere from 30 to 60 days there. I have 24-hour care. And then I progress to an intensive outpatient facility, which I'm in from five to seven days' worth of care. Now I'm down to three days' worth of care um, and only nine hours' worth of treatment. I can get back into the community and start working and start, uh, start living my life where I'll spend anywhere from 30 to 90 days there. Um, and then eventually I go to outpatient services where I can go basically go once a week or, or participate in AA or NA programs. A quick break to tell you about Choose PT the American Physical Therapy Association's National Public Awareness Campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging healthcare providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choosept. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. So, Ahmed, you, you, you saw a need for physical therapists to be placed in addiction treatment centers where, where you felt that they, they can and should play an integral role in the treatment process. And, in, in fact, that's been the basis of your business model. And, and I understand you were motivated by frustration with the status quo and that one incident in particular really put 
all those wheels in motion. So I'm wondering if you can walk us through all that, sort of when the incident happened, uh, what you were doing then, what happened, what was frustrating you, and how you thought you might be able to make a difference in, in what you've described as the quote-unquote hamster wheel of physical therapy when it comes to outpatient par- therapy and people who are addicted to opioids. What's happened in our medical system, our medical model in the United States is, is kind of unfortunate in that the way I describe it is that we document before we treat. And I know everybody kind of gets on my case when I say that in that, no, that's not really true. We actually perform the treatment and then we actually physically document. Well, I get that. That's kind of how we do it, yes. But in reality, our treatment is already dictated preemptively because of our documentation. And that's basically because insurance guidelines, the thoughts of what are the rules for each specific state and what we're allowed and not allowed to do because people aren't really aware of the the rules and guidelines and practice acts. So we get stuck in those things. And when we get into the system of, okay, well, our reimbursement's going down, well, we get to see more patients, and then we we stop thinking about the actual patient themselves. We start thinking of, okay, well, my knee patient that's coming in at 3 o'clock, my my shoulder patient that's coming in at 5 o'clock, or my patient that's got pain all over the place, that's coming in at 6 o'clock, right? We start, we forget to treat the person. And I know in PT school we teach that, and there's a lot of PTs that are out there that are saying, no, no, we treat the whole person. But in reality, that doesn't happen on a consistent basis across the board. I'm, yes, there is some good practitioners that are out there that do this, but on a regular basis for the masses, we don't do this. You know, my frustration was I've been in practice now for 12 years, but about five years ago now, I had an issue where I would walk in and do an evaluation, and the physician would tell me how many patients I'm allowed, or how many visits I'm allowed to see with the patient, and what I'm allowed to do with the patient. Uh, my office manager is telling me how many times I can see the patient, how long I can spend with the patient. My secretary is telling me, you know, here's how, you're only allowed to see this patient this much, and I'm going to put these other patients with him. The patient is telling me, you know, I can only afford two days a week because I can't afford my copay. And then the insurance company is telling me, here's how many visits you get to see because of the diagnosis that the physician put on there. Right. You know, everybody's coming to me as I'm the expert of the movement specialist. I'm the one that's supposed to fix your pain. And five people have already put in their input on what I can do and should do with this patient before I even got to see the patient say, hello, how are, how, how are you today? So how did you, how, how did you seek to upend that? The model that we came about is we had, we were a small private practice. We had a facility, a substance abuse facility actually come in uh, and bring us patients. And, and, you know, I joked around in the, in the conference when I was speaking is that anybody that brings me patients, I'm going to give you a hug and a kiss because, uh, you know, we're a small practice. We fight for every single patient that comes in. And when they came in, they said, hey, listen, we have three patients for you. Would you be able to see them? Well, absolutely. And I'm like, hey, listen, what would you, why did you bring them to us? Is it because we're awesome or like, why did you do this? So we're like, actually, no, you're the third place we came to. Um, you know, the other places that we went to, they refused to see the patients because they were in substance abuse. Um, we're in a, we're a substance abuse facility. And that to us was very frustrating that why would you not see patient because they're in substance abuse or a substance abuse facility. And that's where you saw that there was a need. Well, yes, exactly. So what we saw there is then, okay, well, let's. this is something that we can do. So when we started working with them, we got into the facility and started working with our patients, and we saw, oh, my God, these patients have so many things that are, are, are physical impairments that we can address that have never been addressed, right? And the facility, substance abuse facility, is only working on their mind, right? What about the body? We talk about mind, body, spirit, but nobody's working on the actual body. Well, let's come in there. Let's address the body aspect of it. We're the movement specialists as physical therapists. Let's help the patients. And if we can do that, we can actually make the treatment program actually that much stronger and improve the patients as well. 
Let's bring Eric back into this here. Eric, can you, can you tell us something about the roles that the PTs at the, at the practice play with these patients, the ways in which they help individuals who are recovering from uh, opioid addiction and its effect? I, uh, now, I understand uh, some of the elements are strength, strength training and um, using simple equipment and techniques, and also on the PT and the patient developing something that's called a, a quote-unquote strong therapeutic alliance. Can you talk about all that and why each element is important? When somebody is in recovery, you know, there are oftentimes co-occurring musculoskeletal disorders. And so that's really where the physical therapist comes into play. And then you've got a good number of cases of substance use disorder where the patient initially began to take, you know, the medication due to an injury. And so if that injury has never really been addressed and the cause of that pain has never been looked at, then that's really where we where we play a strong role. And so, you know, the opioids have been masking pain for the for however long for for that individual. And let's get in there and let's figure out you know where the impairments exist. And and so the, all the typical things that a physical therapist would do in, as far as you know retraining the musculoskeletal system, retraining the joint mobility, making sure that their range of motion, strength, functional performance is better. But then there's this also this element of pain education and, and therapeutic alliance is, is sort of a component of that and that is really where you know between the therapist and the patient there is an alliance there's shared decision making but there's a lot of you know education making people more aware and to understand that the pain oftentimes especially persistent pain is not necessarily a sign that an injury is going on your body has healed things have recovered but your nervous system is still a little bit sensitive and so we can do a lot of graded motor imagery and a lot of you know different in progressive graded exercises where we help people come back and and then you know strength training and aerobic training though really we have now a, an emerging body of evidence that demonstrates that when we integrate strength training and aerobic training into addiction recovery programs, outcomes improve. So people oftentimes come in, you know, their bodies have not been treated very well, right? So there, there may be some degree of malnutrition, deconditioning. They really have a hard time exercising. And so getting them back to a lifestyle of fitness and wellness, you know, overall health is, is another kind of component to the care. When you talk about strength training specifically, what, what, what do you mean there? Yeah, so resistance training, lifting weights, and, and like you said earlier, Eric, it's, it is simple. It, it doesn't require fancy, fancy equipment. We have dumbbells and barbells. We do a lot of body weight work. I mean, in a lot of cases, we just want to develop the person's, maybe they had a history of low back pain, and we're really trying to get their hips and legs and, and trunk stronger so that they're more resilient and more tolerant, and that can be done with a lot of body weight exercises, so lots of squats and deadlifts and you know we do use weights as well because once people start to recover and start to do better they need to be challenged a little more and so you know heavy loaded resistance training but in a lot of ways it is your traditional resistance training that you might see if you went into your neighborhood gym you know and saw people lifting weights but the eye of the physical therapist is really what makes it different and so the physical therapist being the expert in movement and picking out movement dysfunction, right? So you can watch somebody squat, they're doing a body weight squat, but if they're doing it in such a way that perhaps maybe is putting a little bit too much stress on one particular region of the body, maybe the hip or the knee or the low back, you know, the physical therapist is able to intervene and pres prescribe exercises in a very specific fashion. When we talk about the, the body-mind connection, obviously uh, physical therapists are working more on the, the body side, but there are, there are mental and emotional benefits to, to all this exercise for the person who's trying to recover from drug addiction, are there not? 
Absolutely, and, and there's a lot there that's outside of our scope of practice, and by no means are we intervening when it comes to behavioral health you know, or, or psychology and psychiatry, you know, I mean, that, those are, we leave that to the med- other medical professionals, stuff like that. But we absolutely have a role in, in developing that therapeutic alliance, positive feedback. You know, we do a lot of positive work with, with people. So really trying to reinforce healthy behaviors and letting them know where their successes are. I mean, one thing about drug addiction is, you know, these patients, they've had a hard time. And society in general, you know, has, has given them a stigma. And so we, and I think that's what makes Ahmed and his team so successful is they really truly do care about each individual. They want to get to know the person. And a lot of times in a lot of these cases, these people haven't had somebody like that in their life, you know, recently. And so, you know, we say this is a a terrible disease that happens to good people. And so if you can kind of see through the the behavioral stuff, right? So the symptoms of drug addiction are, are oftentimes bad behavior. And so we look at it as, you know, this is a good person who had a hard time. And once we can get to know them and really help them kind of come back and feel better, that, that's when you really start to see improvement in behavioral change and, and patients start to feel well. Do you think they're having that kind of relationship with them is kind of revelatory in a sense to them that, as you say, that maybe they're not used to being treated that way and maybe that has an effect as well? Yeah, and, and and that's not unique to us either. The whole healthcare team really kind of has that mindset when you're in recovery, right? It's all about kind of that positive outlook, and I think it's everything. I think it, patient we we know this from the literature, and and you know patient expectations really do influence outcomes. So if we can enhance expectations through a mindset of positivity, through positive talk, through developing that alliance, then that's really when outcomes improve. So I want to ask uh, Ahmed something. How long have you been doing this now, and and what tells you it's working, assuming that you really do believe it it is working? And do you have any particular patient stories or or things that have happened that you feel kind of illustrate the fact that you're on the right track here? I 100% believe it's working. We've been doing this now for about five years. It took us about a year and a half to put the program together from when we first started over at the clinic, our outpatient clinic, and and put it into the uh, substance abuse facilities. What we're seeing from the facilities is is two main things. It's the AMA rate and the length of stay rate, right? So those are two things that uh, facilities, substance abuse facilities, use to monitor statistics. The AMA rate is basically the against medical advice. That's when somebody says, you know what, I'm going to leave this facility. I'm not going to continue doing this. And what we found is those numbers have decreased by 22% after six months of us being in the facility. So the patients that, the groups of patients that go in there, they are leaving less. Right, and then the length of stay goes up by 15%. Right, so the patients are staying there longer. So if it's a PHP facility or a residential facility, they're used, they're supposed to stay for 30 days, and the average of the facility is 21 days. They're ending up staying, you know, three, four, five days extra because of our services that are in there. What we're seeing is the patients are telling the staff, their clinical practitioners or clinical therapists, uh, I'm able to pay attention more. My back hurts less, so I'm able to sit in group. Our practitioners are telling us, listen, in group or when we're sitting and talking with them, they are paying attention more. They're more attentive. They're not moving around as much. They're more excited. They're more involved with their body. They understand, right? So uh, we're planting seeds, and that's the big concept of what we're doing. So we know that. That benefits us in that we get to see the clients more. It benefits the substance abuse facility because they get to see the clients more because they're staying there, and it benefits the client because they're staying there more and they're getting more treatment. So it works. anything that works for everybody works well. Um, the one example I'll tell you how this works, and this is this is the beauty of what we do in that in PT, you know, 
on very few instances do we actually affect people's lives, right? We we change and we help people's lives, but we never actually save somebody's life. We're not a, uh, in the medical profession. That is not really our our gig or our thing to do. Um, but I'll give you an example of a patient that we worked with. Um, he was one of the toughest patients that we had. He used to curse me every single day, um, didn't want to participate, which is very angry and frustrated, had a lot of anger inside of him, but at the same point worked every single or stayed uh, into the room that we were participating in doing all our services in the room with us every single day that we were there. He called me about six months after he um, got discharged from the facility, and he says to me, hey, listen, I wanted to call you and tell you uh, that I've been sober for six months. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, he's like, well, shut up and listen. He was a really rough guy. And he goes, well, I had some back pain, and I called my dealer the other day, or I had back pain the other day, and I called my dealer to bring me some, you know, drugs so I can get rid of the pain. And I'm like, well, why are you telling me this? Like, you shouldn't be. He's like, well, just shut up and listen. I'm like, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> um, so then he goes about explaining all the exercises that we said. It's like, I did your stupid exercises that you made me do, which were some leg kicks where we basically made him stretch his hamstrings, right? And then we said, I did your stupid Jane Fonda exercise, which is strengthening his uh, glutes and the top of his hips. And then he said, I did your stupid uh, sit-to-stands, which are your squats, right? So just a simple sit-to-stand exercise, which makes his core stronger. And then I did your stupid planks, right, which makes his stomach strong. So everything was stupid that he was doing, but right. he was saying that he did them, right? Um, and, and this is the guy that never participated, but he obviously took something from everything that we said. And then he goes, you know, as I did those things, I, I actually felt better, right? And then I went downstairs, and I, I was playing with my kids and my wife, and then a couple hours later, I realized, oh, my God, I forgot my phone upstairs. So he ran upstairs to grab his phone because he didn't want to see that his wife – he didn't want his wife to grab his phone and see that he um, called his dealer. And as he grabbed his phone, he had, you know, 20 text messages and, and, and right. calls. And a friend – his friend was calling at the same time. He's like, hey – what were you, uh, where are you? He's like, oh, I'm home. He's like, oh, well, so-and-so dealer was coming to pick you up, and he didn't pick up, and he picked up her other friend, and they got in an accident, and they sent him to the tree, and they died. Wow. Right? So, you know, at this moment, I'm, I'm, I, I talk a lot, right? And I, I couldn't speak, and he's like, you know, I just want to tell you that thank you because you saved my life. Um, you saved my wife's life. You affected my kid's life. You affected my community, my parents, and, and just everybody around us. And then click that, hangs up, right? That, that wasn't that wasn't the kind of life saving I was anticipating when you started this story. <laughs> well, so so that's the thing. So that's what this is all about. Is that what we do is we plant seeds, right? And this is what the whole substance abuse thing is about. Is that we plant seeds, and if we can help the patient to just for one time when he has pain, we can get rid of some of that pain, right? We can, if we give them tools, right, for them to be able to help them, right, to get rid of some of the pain. We're not going to get rid of the pain, but if we help them manage their pain, right, and if we can do that, we can. We're, then we're making a difference in this world. You know, there's, the relapse rate is, is gigantic. It goes anywhere from 60 to 95%, right, who, depending on who you ask, right? But what we know is if we can just decrease the, the relapse rate by 1%, that means there's going to be thousands of people in the United States, moms, dads, kids, grandpas, CEOs, movie stars, and anybody else in between, that we're going to save some lives, and these people are going to have a tremendous impact in our society, and that's really what we're doing this for, and that's the biggest thing that we um, and, and get from this. And this is just one example. You know, our staff, we get you know hundreds of, of, of messages and, and, and cards from our patients that are out there that are telling us how they've learned how to cope with their pain or they've learned fun ways to, to be sober and all these things, and those are the amazing things that uh, give us. This is just one example that I, I have with one patient.
Well, well, following up on that, and and kind of to close out here, I'd like to ask both of you to comment on this. What would you like to see happen moving forward, and and, uh, what what, what gives you hope that uh, that some of the uh, the things that you're talking about, and even even having that 1% impact, that eventually it might improve to 2% and 3% and so on? Eric, go ahead first. One thing is just the stigma of of drug abuse. I mean, I think that Ahmed's story earlier, you know, where the – patient was seeking care, went to a few different facilities, and, um, you know, maybe there were some barriers there. And and honestly, when we speak with practitioners about uh, the addiction recovery setting, we we do get some, you know, resistance and just some just preconceived ideas, right? And so that's natural. That's human nature. We all have kind of our biases. And I think we just have to look at this is a huge pop. What the, the destruction that the opioid crisis has done in the United States over the past 25, 30 years or so, has taken a huge toll on our society. There are so many people that need our help. And so as physical therapists, we've got to step up to the plate and really understand where these patients are, how we can help them get into these facilities and help out. If you look at the number of PTs practicing in addiction recovery, that number is so incredibly small. A meds practice might be one of the only ones in the country. We really don't know. I'm sure there are a few others, but it is not a mainstream practice model, and uh, and and it's huge. So when you go into an addiction recovery facility, patients are treated. You know, with, uh, there's a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, counseling, 12-step work. But where's the physical aspect? You know, a lot of people have musculoskeletal pain, and really that's where where we come into play. So I'd love to see less stigma. I'd love to see us embrace this model, embrace these patients, and really help out. Um, and then back on just, just early, it, it, the, the thing about Move Forward and the thing about the Move Forward campaign and Choose PT, it's all about timing of care and the order in which care occurs. So we're not really suggesting anything other than put us on the front end. Let us be the person that you seek when you initially have the pain or injury because we can get you back to, to normal life without drugs, without surgery, and that's really where we shine. And then also, if you do need, require those medical interventions, we're going to be able to identify patients that will probably best respond, right? People that so There are people that, aren't, that don't have a successful course of care with a physical therapist, and so we can send those patients on into the medical model. They're probably going to get better outcomes because that's a, that's a patient that's better suited for, for those interventions. Ahmed, any final thoughts? That was amazing. You know, I would reiterate everything that Eric just said. What I would add to that is from the treatment aspect is that the treatment facilities don't necessarily have a, a system or a, or a model of how to treat, how to do, how to treat substance abuse. And I think we need to educate the substance abuse facilities as well that the, the pain and, and the, the body aspect, the movement aspect is a really important aspect, the mind-body-spirit concept, you know, don't forget the body, that that needs to be incorporated in there. As clients, the clients are going to be going into addiction treatment centers. The parents are going to be asking for this. My son has pain. How can we address this? Or if I'm a patient, I'm going in. The patients need to be aware of this. And if they're aware of it, then, hey, listen, you can go to treatment centers as well that have these services or at least have access to these services so that we can help you, right? We are the movement specialists. And that's one of the main things that I want everybody to understand. Physical therapists are movement specialists. We're the ones that can address your movement. We're not going to necessarily get rid of your pain. But if we can make you, if we can improve your quality of life by 
50%, even 10%, that is a huge difference for some people that are not able to move whatsoever, right? The last two things I'd like to say is that addiction, I want everybody to know, addiction is a disease, right? We need to understand and comprehend that addiction is a disease, and we need to comprehend that and take that with us. And then the last thing is that what our goal is as, as uh, our company with ATW and what we're doing as physical therapy and with the Choose PT movement is, is really four simple words, and, and that's the same thing that we've been talking about is, is we want to humanize addiction through movement, Right? Again, it's humanizing addiction through movement. That's what we're really trying to do to get it out there so that the, the public out there can understand, hey, listen, I have pain. I can get rid of some of my pain by movement. Whatever, whatever that movement is, you can move in a, in a proper way and then eventually move in a way that is making you stronger. And then we're going to help you with that addiction. We know that we can help you with your addiction in your recovery. We know we can improve the relapse rate. We know we can decrease all this stuff with, the, with, with recovery in addiction with all the research that we have through movement. So humanizing addiction through movement. Ahmed Rushwan, Eric Chaconis, thank you so much for talking with us today on Move Forward Radio. We really appreciate it. Eric, thank you so much. Thanks, well. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by moveforwardpt.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at moveforwardpt.com.